Welcome to the Virtual Velo Podcast powered by the Zamunike. We are passionate about cycling and immersed in the virtual cycling community. I'm Chris Schwanker, a freelance cycling journalist, here to lend a voice to the digital athlete and bridge the gap between athlete and avatar. Take a conversational ride with us. Hello and welcome to the Virtual Velo Podcast, powered by the Zamunike, your central source for news and insights on all things virtual cycling. I am, of course, your host, Cy Bradley, and as always, I am joined by co-host, journalist, the man with his finger firmly on the pulse when it comes to all things cycling in sports, Chris Svenker. Chris, do you want to give me and the listeners an overview of today's show and a bit of background on the topic that we're going to be covering? I'd love to, Sai. I'm actually really looking forward to uh, taking a deep dive into this with our guest. If you're a fan of cycling esports in this podcast, then you're likely aware that the Olympic Esports Series finals took place in Singapore between June 22nd and 25th. The International Olympic Committee called it a historic moment in the world's sporting journey. And I think that there's going to come a day when we look at that as the thing that changed everything for cycling esports, Sai. 500,000 unique participants competed in the qualifying events. 3 million laps were driven on Gran Turismo. 450,000 baseball games were played in the qualifiers. The Olympic esports venue saw approximately 20,000 visitors over the four days. And I'm sure that our guests got to see 19,000 of those visitors at Cycling Esports. 17,000 people viewed the coverage of the cycling final on YouTube. And there are reports that the IOC spent over $20 million on the event. 131 players from 64 countries participated in the finals in Singapore, and we're very fortunate to have one of them with us today. Would you like to do the honor, Sai? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about this one. You give us the intro to the event. I'm going to give the intro to the athlete. So first, a bit of background on today's athlete and the fantastic history he has in the sport of cycling, not just esports, but he's competed at US National Championships. He's won numerous national titles across road and cyclocross. And we often know that cyclocross riders transition well over to cycling in sport. I first remember our, our guest today, I almost said his name then, and he came to my attention in 2019-2020 when, of course, he did join the next Powered by Ensure team and also raced in the Zwift Premier Division. So today, my pleasure to welcome, and of course, I'm almost forgetting that, but of course, he's one of just 16 athletes who did compete in the inaugural Olympic Esports Week. Welcome, Zach Neer. How are you? Thank you. Thank you guys so much for the intro. I'm, I'm doing really well. Just coming off vacation, got back from Singapore about a week ago, and it's, it's been great. I'm really excited to talk with you guys today. Yeah, of course. So we are a, a couple of weeks out now, I think, from the, the actual event, and we're going to try and dive deep into the event as possible. And you've obviously heard our stat man, Chris. He's the man with the finger on the pulse and all the, the numbers, and I'm sure he's got some great questions lined up. But I just want to go back. I want to go back to when the announcement. When was when did you first hear about the event? How did the, the Zwift reach out? Was it, was it even Zwift that reached out? Do you want to give us a bit of background on, on how it all started for you? Yeah, I remember hearing about the event uh, almost through some small story that was posted on our team Discord. It was a link to an Olympic page that was announcing this new Olympic esports series. And they said they were going to invite, I think it was, yeah, 16 athletes total, eight men and eight women to Singapore for the cycling event. And it was going to be on Zwift. And at that point, 
we had no other details and it kind of sat like that for a couple of months. We had no idea how are they going to pick these people? Is it going to be well-known people? Is it going to be people that did well in the Premier League or some other mix? Is it going to be a bunch of pro riders? I thought maybe there was a chance they'll just being, bring these big name riders like Tom Pidcock, Matthew Vanderpool, and Tade Pojakar. They'll just fly them out to have them race on Swift. I thought maybe that would be an option for them. But as details kind of started flowing in, we didn't have much information until I got an invite to the event via email. I think it was from the UCI. Um, I think that might have been April. Um, so pretty close to the event. I mean, I got the email in April. The event was June. I heard that some other riders only got the email in, in May. So for an event where you have to travel to the other side of the world, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty late for a lot of us to find out about the event. And then it was a long process of emailing back and forth with the UCI, the IOC, and then a few of the the Zwift guys um, to get flights coordinated for that and fly out to the event. And we got a race guy, like a technical guide for the race. But a lot of the details really came together in the last two weeks before the race, which was was pretty late for an event that of, of that scale, really. So you mentioned that obviously the UCI sent out that that first invite. So those communications after giving giving all the details of the events was that predominantly from the UCI? Or was that was it then Swift or how did that work? I believe it was from the UCI. It was it was a mix of a lot of names on the emails that I had never heard of before. Um, so it was really interesting. Uh, ultimately, we met all of these people in Singapore and hung out with them for a week. But before that. It was a lot of back and forth with just these names on an email list that, I mean, it's almost like you don't know if this person is real. This is someone I've never heard of. It says they work at the UCI and they're putting together my flight to Singapore, but we didn't meet them until we were there. It was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems pretty short notice from my point of view. Obviously, you've got the, the logistic, logistics aspect of, of trying to get to Singapore in such a short period of time. But what about from just an, an athletic point of view and getting your body ready. I mean, after all, this is an Olympic event, right? So what what sort of process did you go through at, at that stage in preparing your body for the training, for the race? Yeah, it was, it was something where we found out the details of, of the race so late. I want to say four to six weeks out from the race was when we got the details of these are the exact events, the courses we're racing and how the, the points are going to work in the race. Um, and at that point, we were all fit just from the winter of riding and training. And then the spring, a lot of us do outdoor racing. So every, everyone was fit coming into it, but there wasn't a lot of specific training to do. I think most guys, including myself, just did maybe four weeks of sprint training coming, coming into the events because all the races were so short and the elimination had so many sprints that there wasn't really time to train your five minute or train your threshold. There wasn't much of that in the race anyway. It was just a lot of sprint work about four weeks out from the race. You know, it, I find it interesting that you, you talk about the timing of things and that you hadn't heard about it for a, you know, a long period. And of course, you know, when I heard about the, the Olympic esports series, I, I was excited. I'm like, wow, this is, this is really big. And then I was doing research. I was trying to read every single possibly thing, thing I could, and I couldn't find anything about it. And then the the Zwift play announcement came, and that was like the, the like the the big huge momentous thing for Zwift, and yet they're gearing up for the Olympics, and there's no talk of that at all. You know, the, the timing just seemed kind of weird, like it was overshadowing what 
should have been the priority for, for the company, you know, in my opinion. A lot of the events that were in the Olympic esports series were qualification events, as, as I alluded to in the introduction, and, and cycling esports was an invitational event. Um, do you have any sense as to you know, the criteria that, that they used to choose the athletes? Yeah, in, the, in one of the first announcements, I think it was a press release about the event, they said they were going to choose riders based on the results at the UCI Esport World Championships and their results in the Zwift Premier Division, the Zwift Grand Prix. Um, and that was pretty much the only criteria they gave. Um, it was going to be discretionary. We didn't know who was choosing, if it was Zwift, if it was UCI, if it was a combination. Um, but that was pretty much uh, how they chose. And I heard of a bunch of riders who were invited who ended up not coming. There were a lot of riders with overlapping events because, I mean, at the end of June, it was national championships for guys and girls that are professional on the road. And a lot of people with huge, I mean, it's a huge travel commitment. You pretty much had to block out an entire week um, of travel and racing on the other side of the world. A lot of people couldn't take off of work, but um, that was the criteria that, that we heard about. And it made sense with the riders who ended up showing up to the event in Singapore. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. One thing that didn't make sense, um, I was contacted by the world champion uh, probably a week before the event, uh, Bjorn Andresen. And he said, Chris, I don't know what happened. I was all set to go. And then all of a sudden they told me that I wasn't going anymore. Um, it just, it's like, you would think that you'd want the world champion at that event. Um, I wonder if, did you hear anything about that? Were there any, anything going on behind the scenes that, that would have pointed to a reason as to why that would have happened? I, I didn't hear any details. I, I did hear that he got invited and then, didn't end up coming. I don't know exactly what happened with that, but from the rider's perspective, a lot of guys knew him and heard that he was invited, but uh, about, I want to say two weeks out from the event, um, in the private communications and email, we were sent the race guide and everything. I don't think that was public at that point. And then they also sent us the rider list. Um, and he wasn't on that rider list about, I, I want to say a week or two before the event. So I don't know the details of what happened there, but I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that really surprises me that the fact that it was, you know, your invite came from the UCI. Here's the, the UCI world champion you know, ultimately at the end of the day. So have you got any insight, Zach, into what you think the, the considerations were when selecting athletes then outside of having competed in a world championships before? What, what are the things that we're considering, do you think? I think that a lot of the riders were were very popular and they were, they were big names on Zwift and in eSports cycling. Um, I think, honestly, I was very happy with the start list they ended up coming with because I think that every rider 100% deserved to be there. Um, it, was, it was really interesting to see the mix of riders and they, they also did a really good job balancing the teams and that was on purpose because they ended up putting us on teams of four with two men and two women and balancing those teams based on ability because they wanted the results to be very competitive. So I think, I don't know for sure, but that might've been part of the selection process with creating a very competitive field of evenly matched riders across like sprinting and threshold and attacking to make for really good racing. So, so at what point did you know who your, your teammates were going to be then? And, and did you, you know, how much time did you have to talk to them and prepare? Yeah, it was with that uh, when they sent us the rider list about two weeks out from the event. Um, we got our we got the rider list and then we got our teams. Um, so we knew our teammates, all the emails were on there. And then we were in a discord as well. So we could all contact them through there. 
Um, it was interesting because, yeah, there wasn't really much to talk about tactically. Um, the only race where you had a teammate was that first race of three, the elimination. Um, and then after looking at the course and thinking about the riders and my competitors and everyone, there wasn't really much strategy other than maybe one of us attacking early. And <laughs> we kind of thought about it and we kind of decided on maybe we'll see how it goes. And that was pretty much it. There wasn't this whole dynamic of big teams like there are in the other races. It was really, that was the race with eight guys and two from each team. And then in the first 5k, half of those guys were eliminated. So then it's down to four. So <laughs> there weren't really many team tactics you could do in those races other than motivating them from the sidelines. All right. So I, yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the the pre-event stuff, really, and and, and obviously we spoke about um, the riders and any planning. It sounds like it, there wasn't too much going on, but tell us about the experience. You know, from from when you landed. You know, I'm thinking about the the testing. Was there any testing there with the UCI? You know, what was it like when you walked into that venue for the first time? Just just give us a bit of background on that pre-event. You know, experience from, from your side. Yeah, I would say the experience really started with the flight out to Singapore because, I mean, myself and a lot of the other riders had 20 to 30 to 35 hours of travel to get to Singapore, which as a cyclist, I had never experienced anything like that before. I had maybe flown three or four hours to a race, um, but almost, almost every single rider came from either North America or Europe. So there were a couple people who their flights got delayed, they missed a connection and they had 40 plus hours of travel and sleeping in the airport overnight. And this all was happening two and a half, three days before the event. So <laughs> no one was really sure how their legs were going to be after all that travel. And then obviously the time zone difference too. I was, I was basically on the opposite time zone with Singapore being 13 hours ahead of where I am in Wisconsin. So I'm right basically racing in the middle of the night compared to first thing in the morning. Um, but the experience was absolutely incredible it was it was so far above my expectation i i thought it would be a cool event i thought it'd be really well supported and i have been lucky enough to do bike races and events before where i mean we had a shuttle that took us from here to here there was a team presentation that was pretty cool and then we had staff and swanier like helping us out but i mean this one was they had staff who picked us up from the airport and they showed us around town and we had shuttles everywhere. We had chaperones everywhere. There were translators. There were a lot of people who needed translators in Singapore. And every meal was catered. It was either at the venue or at the hotel. And the hotel where all the all the athletes stayed, I think all the staff stayed there as well. Um, it was a five-star hotel in downtown Singapore. And as you can imagine, <laughs> it was it was incredible. We all we got our own rooms and we were I was up on the 17th floor. There were other guys that were up on the 35th or 37th floors and the views were incredible. Most of us had never been to Singapore before. So there was so much just to see and do in downtown. And it was, it was really incredible. And we, we went to the venue on the first day to, to check it out and do the rehearsal for the opening ceremony. And it was just one of those moments that it's hard to put into words. Like you just walk in and there's just, this huge opening and a sound stage and 17 million dollar cameras and there's the lights and the sound and the graphics and it's like it's like being on the set of a movie and and then you just picture yourself like we're just going to be lined up there 
on smart bikes <laughs> racing in front of like a thousand people. And it was, it was amazing just walking into the venue and the, the scale of the event was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life, cycling or otherwise. And, and from there, on the second day we did, that was when the meeting started. We had a lot of meetings. There was first the anti-doping meeting, which was kind of funny. <laughs> that was for all the competitors and athletes, right? Across all sports. That's correct. Yes. Yes. So it was very funny to be in the same room during an anti-doping meeting at the, as these Fortnite players and these ba- these baseball players and the virtual Taekwondo players. And they're t- telling us about about EPO and Adderall and Tramadol and all the cyclists are like, oh yeah, we know, we know. I wonder what they're going to test those <laughs> Fortnite guys or the chess guys for. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and that was that was a really interesting meeting because for, for me and most of the cyclists, it was, it was stuff we already knew. And um, it was interesting also because they, they told us before that meeting and after their, that meeting that the, the meetings were very important. We needed to be there and pay attention and all that. But then they said they weren't going to test us, which we all thought was kind of weird because you have this huge event and it's very important and they're spending so much money on it. It's like, why wouldn't you have testing here? And then it turns out after the event, they tested, I think, four or five people at least from the cycling group. So I don't know why they told us there wasn't going to be testing. Maybe it was unplanned. I don't, I don't really know because, I mean, at that point, there was, it was, it didn't really matter. It was, if you did well, you were going to get tested. So that was interesting. I was not one who got tested. So I don't, I don't know what that experience was like other than that it took three or four hours so for some of the riders. So I felt bad for them. So you mentioned that you're in a lot of meetings. Um, were any of these meetings specifically just geared towards uh, media obligations? None of the, no, none of the initial meetings were really talked to us about media, which, which I thought was really interesting um, because yeah, on the day of the event, um, a couple people got interviewed. And then after the event, I think every single rider got interviewed. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it's a very big event with a ton of press. And I've never been media trained before. I don't know if anyone else had been media trained before. I'm sure there were things that they wanted us to say or focus on and other things that they didn't want us to say. But we never really got briefed on that. Um, and everyone did really well in the interviews and enjoyed them. And and did well with that. So, but I don't, I don't remember really any meetings about media, um, except for after the race, them just telling us to focus on, focus on this and focus on that rather than focusing on any negatives from the event, which totally made sense. Yeah, I I certainly understand that. So Zwift never told you what to say if this happened or what to do if that happened, that type of thing. No, not at all. Interesting. The reason why I say that is because I've I've received reports from other people that their interviews were scripted and that they were specifically told how to react if one thing happened or if another thing happened. I guess maybe it could have been individual for different people, which is uh, which is really interesting. I watched you guys during the the opening ceremonies and I watched you guys sitting on the stage when you walked in and I I, you know, I got to tell you I really had a sense of pride and I really felt happy for you guys. But then you jumped onto those bikes. And it looked like there were there were things happening. Yeah, there were there were technical issues with the bikes during the event, and it was all stuff that no one saw coming. Um, I mean, all of the riders were as tech savvy and as experienced as all those Zwift guys, and it was it was just things with 
with some of the wireless connections that no one really thought about in a room of a million devices that that these these issues would happen, but none of them were catastrophic. It was really something that it more got in the rider's head um, than than anything else. It didn't ruin anyone's race. There were no dropouts or anything like that, um, which was really good to see at an event of that scale. I mean, Zwift was doing all of this for the first time, so it was it was really incredible the amount of work that went into it. And on these bikes, I don't know, I don't think they had ever done an in-person event on those bikes before and then flying to Singapore, doing it at a venue that they've never done it before. There were bound to be some minor issues, but there was nothing nothing that ruined anyone's race, I would say. So were, were the bikes adjustable? Like, were you able to like adjust uh, crank length and the uh, cockpit set up at all? Or was everybody on the same bike and they just had to deal with it? It was the, so the bikes we were on were the Watt bike Adams and all of it was adjustable except for the crank length. The crank length, I want to say was 170, 170 millimeters which was shorter than most of us ride. I ride 172.5. Um, and I didn't, I didn't feel like it made a big difference, especially because these races were so short. It was so much out of the saddle, so many sprints. I didn't, I didn't feel like that made a significant difference. We all got to ride the Watt bikes the day before the race. Um, there was like a backstage area where we all, they had them all set up and we had our own bikes so that the setup could stay the same from one day to the other. We got to ride the bikes for over an hour, um, test them out, test out the shifting. We got to adjust them as much as we wanted. So the saddle and the bars and the height and length of everything was totally adjustable. I think from what I could see, everyone was was very comfortable on those. Um, and then they bolted them down on the stage uh, the day of the event. So that was great for the sprinting. I'm, re- I'm really interested. I, you know, I found the event real. like you say, for me, it was, it was amazing, you know, and, and to see you guys up there having so much fun, you know, I saw you gave a cheeky wave to the camera at some point, you know, Jackie Godby was, was super excited and pumped on stage. So, and it was, you know, for me, you know, I've been around the sport a little while now and obviously the sport's still in its infancy, but it, I felt really proud of what, what you guys did, you know, to, to represent the athletes and the sport. But, you know, and I don't want to keep, I don't want to visit any negatives so much, but the, you know, it just, I got some questions around the technology and the communication protocol, because of course, one of your teammates, uh, Lisa, you know, she didn't start the first event. I could, I also have spoken to a few of the athletes and I know there was some gear change issues and, and things like that, but that wasn't spoke about amongst the athletes afterwards or you didn't, you know, those frustrations didn't come through. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because it was really different for everyone. Um, Whereas I had some technical issues with the shifting on my bike. There were other guys that had zero issues with that. Um, With Lisa, my teammate, I don't know what happened there, but I was riding right next to her when the race started. And when the race started, I could hear them yelling, the commentators, that the women were off and everything. And she was just riding next to me, like, really easy. And then I looked over and I asked her, like, are, are you racing? And she was like, I didn't get in. And then it was just weird because she didn't really signal to anyone. I don't know what happened there. I don't know if she knew that was going to happen. But I didn't really know. And I was her teammate, like, standing right there on stage. And and with some of the other issues, none of us really found out about the details of anything until afterwards, because once we went out onto the stage at the start of the event, we were on the stage the entire time. So we didn't go backstage. We didn't go on our phones. We didn't talk to 
any of the other teams really. So it was, it was this weird feeling where you're in front of everyone and totally presented, but you're also just in your own little world and you can't really check on anything. You could kind of see the broadcast, but you couldn't really hear the commentator. So we kind of knew what was happening in the races just by looking and trying to listen. But it was also really hard to follow because I wasn't watching the actual broadcast. I was watching what was on the stage, which is really interesting to be there, but not really know what's happening. No, you know, I know there's got to be money involved in, in these things. There's got to be sponsorship partnerships with organizations like Wattbike. But it just amazed me that an event like this, and I know, you, you know, you've had technical problems over your years of, of Zwift racing and, and world championships that you've done as well, you know, that, that you'd have, because the Wattbike's I guess it was using Bluetooth. And I just wondered whether, because if I remember right, you guys were sort of on the, the far right as I looked at the stage there, you know, whether just the, you know, the, the distance from Bluetooth, the fact that there's so many devices around was, you know, could, could maybe, but it just surprised me. Sometimes it just surprised me that such a high profile event that potentially, you know, could influence what happens with our sport in the next five to 10 years that we've not, got a hardwired solution for this particular event because it was so important to us as athletes racing who want to be part of the sport in the future and, and potentially an Olympic movement, right? Definitely. I, I agree that there are definitely solutions in, in upcoming events and it definitely could have been better. But I, yeah, at the same time, it was, it was something that no one saw coming. There was, I mean, the riders knew we were going to be on Watt bikes. We knew it was going to be a huge venue, but no one thought about those problems until it happened. And, and again, like some of the, some of the reasons for it, it still doesn't totally make sense because I don't know where the, the Bluetooth, like the origin of the connection would be. But I mean, I know there were people on the other corner of the stage that had zero issues. And then the person next to them had tons of issues. So, and then there are people in the middle that the one teammate would have zero issues and the next teammate would, nothing would work. So it was, it was one of those things that even even the explanations we tried to come up with on the spot didn't really make sense. But it, it was definitely something that, that Zwift is is looking to do better next time and definitely focused on. Well, the one thing that I, that I could sense was that the racing was hard. Like it seemed like you guys were amped up to a, a, like another level, even greater than the world championship level. Like there were few of you there. You were in front of the, in front of the cameras and you were just – abusing yourselves and it just like I, I could almost feel it yeah it definitely took me to a place that i had never been before on the bike and i think the number one reason for that was doing an in-person event is that i had never done an event like that before on zwift or any other virtual cycling platform i think maybe a couple of the other riders had done one before but i mean it's i'm, I'm used to just doing it in the corner of my bedroom in my apartment and even the craziest races like the world championships I did here alone in my apartment. So I was super amped for that, but <laughs> it's still so quiet and so lonely. And then you get in that venue with all the cameras and the lights, you can hear the commentators screaming in the background and you got people cheering for you. And there are people saying, go Zach. And I was like, I have no idea who in Singapore is cheering for me, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like you Definitely were cool. You were treated like rock stars when you landed, and yeah, I was. I was just going to ask you what you know. What what were you looking out on? How many people were sort of in that? Was it an auditorium? Was it a, a big shopping mall? What you know? What sort of venue was it? What were you seeing when you looked out to the crowd? So the the venue was the seventh floor of um, like a convention center, like an expo center. So it just opened like you walked in the entrance, and it just opened up with these huge ceilings, and it was totally 
open, but then every event had like their own booth. And then on one end of that giant room was the main stage where we were racing. And then there was the secondary stage in the back. Um, so, I mean, I don't know exactly what the seating was. It must've been a few hundred people in the seats. And then it was just filled in the back with everyone standing and there were the lights and the cameras and everyone um, that was in the VIP section that was like up on its own platform above everyone. And then when we were on stage with, with the lights, they're so bright that I could maybe see the first two rows and then I couldn't see past that. So I, I could just hear the crowd, but I could barely see anything. So let's talk about those VIPs then. So I know Chris is, is you know, you've got some statements from the UCI and so on, but what what was your interaction with, with the UCI then in terms of, you know, the, the post event? Did you get a chance to speak to them? What were their thoughts on the event and, and what they'd witnessed? Because you know, and, and I guess also with, with the representatives from the IOC, did you meet those guys? Did, you know, was there any, any feedback from those? Did you get any feel of, of what are the next steps in, in getting our sport to uh, a full-blown Olympic event? Yeah, there, was, um, there were a couple of representatives from the UCI that were working with us the entire event. We were in the emails with them before coordinating the flights and everything, and then they were with us on the ground for the first couple of days in Singapore, walking us to and from all the events. Um, and then the staff from Zwift were kind of there, but they were also like at the venue when we weren't, they were setting up everything. They were working super long hours to get everything set. We saw them more after the event, once everything was done. And then some of the IOC members and staff we saw after the event, they came to our booth, which was like every event had their own booth in the expo center. So Zwift had like four watt bikes set up with like a couple TVs. And then like anyone from the public that went to the event could go and like try them out and ride on there and do some sprints. And so we went there in the, in a couple days after the event uh, to hang out there and cheer on some of the, the Singapore riders and teams. Uh, there was a junior team that came in there and did a race. And there were a couple IOC members who came through there and they were all, they were all really pleased. They watched the event and some of them were there and they said the energy was insane. It was so cool to see an event like that in person because yeah, Zwift is one of those platforms and events that's, it's, it's so big, but they have not really done that many in-person events. I know Worlds last year, they had a few riders in Glasgow, but besides that, they don't do a ton of these virtual in-person events. Like triathlon is, is one of those that has its own series where they have these virtual in-person events and it has such a huge following and everything. But Zwift, it's, it's pretty rare. Maybe, maybe once or twice a year, there's an in-person Zwift thing. So to have it on that scale, like never before everyone, everyone said it was, it was huge. It was a massive success and the racing was super exciting too, which I know is always a concern for, for sports at that level, going to that stage for the first time. You want to have an exciting race. You don't want to have someone solo off the front the entire race, and that's it. It was the elimination was down to every single sprint, and then the, with the team points, I, I, it came all the way down to the final event for the top three, and that was awesome. Yeah, it really seemed like an incredible event. Like if I could have changed spots with you, I probably wouldn't because I'm not at that level, and it would just it would just drive me crazy. But when you say it's a success, I was watching the event and that's the question that I was asking myself when it was over. Was it a success? And, and when I say success, I mean for the future. Like, is, is this event good or bad for the future of cycling esports? There was one major thing that happened that could potentially really put that into jeopardy. 
And that was the, the photo finish, you know, the, the issues with the finish line imagery. I'm just going to read to you a statement that I received from the UCI regarding that. And then I want you to give me your impression. And then I'm going to tell you what Zwift had to say. So this is what I got from the UCI when I asked them. They said, there are, of course, still areas of improvement. One example being finish line imagery. All parties involved in the event are constantly working on identifying improvements as this new discipline evolves. The UCI engages with platform providers and all other concerned stakeholders to ensure that full support is provided for this new discipline and that fair and credible racing is guaranteed for all athletes. What, what was your impression of that scenario and what do you think about it? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to speak to because I have talked to a few people about that issue and it's, it's been around for a while that once once you get into it and you talk about people you talk to people that know it it's it's something that's super technical that i don't really understand i think it has to do with servers and the platform and something like that but past that i don't i don't really know how it all works i don't know how easy it is to fix i imagine it's incredibly complicated because otherwise they would have fixed it by now but i mean they're they're super aware of it and it's something that I know they're working on and, and Zwift is, is very aware of, of these things. And it was, it was great to have this whole group of riders with the Zwift staff for a full five or six days because we could give them so much feedback in person because, I mean, for the past couple of years, it's, it's just been emails. It's, it's been emails and then they get lost and sometimes it's hard to communicate. But, I mean, we would sit and have lunch or dinner with them for two hours and get to talk about everything. And, and it's... It, yeah, it's it's hard to speak to the to the details of it, but it's something that is on everyone's mind, and and I know Zwift is working on. Speaking of Zwift, so the statement from the UCI was their public statement. I've spoken to to people behind the scenes, and their assessment was that the caliber of product is not of world championship or Olympic standard. That the architecture of the game, the client side architecture, is not up to the standards. When I asked Swift about that, this is what they said to me. Regarding the questions focus on results, all results of cycling esports events hosted on Zwift are determined by Zwift servers rather than broadcast feed. Like all multiplayer online games, Zwift connects all racers' local game clients together via a central server where the athletes are scattered around the world or riding next to each other in the same room. Due to varying connection speeds of each local game client and other factors that can cause latency, Zwift local clients predict the visual positions of the avatars based on the last information received and updates the position when it receives new data. For this reason, and because of the finish of Zwift races are almost always occur at high speeds, the results of all races occurring on Zwift are determined by server results, even when that differs from the broadcast client displays. The Zwift server is the source of truth and is accurate to the single millisecond. Basically, what they're trying to say is what you see on your screen doesn't really mean anything. What the broadcasters see on their screen doesn't really mean anything. We have our own screen, and we'll let you know what happens. Yeah, it's it's something that it's something that I've noticed in in my races, and I don't know. I mean, I know that every rider is different with this, but to me, honestly, it doesn't really bother me that much because even when I've watched real life sprints, when it comes down to half a wheel, if you see it from a certain angle, I mean, they're going. 70k an hour in a sprint you see it from a certain angle you see it in the shadows or you just are watching a different rider like it's hard to tell 
which one crosses the line first a lot of time and then you go to the photo or you go to the results and then oh there it is i mean i don't see any huge issues like it's not like in a swift sprint the rider completely behind the other is the one that's winning it's usually the ones that are next to each other or it's a lot closer than that that's what i've noticed in my races i know a lot of riders have different experiences with that but it, it is definitely a frustrating issue that i i hope is resolved soon yeah i mean i'm similar position to you Zach, i guess that I've been around Zwift long enough and I have been that guy who's both been a bike length in front and behind and the result has not flashed up on screen. So with Zwift, there's unfortunately, I feel like we're kind of used to it. But my concern is that the, the non-Zwifters, the non-esports cyclists who are looking in on this for the first time and seeing seeing it on screen. I actually, at the event, I have to say, I think Rob and Hannah and the team there dealt with it really well. The, the Lancong uh, situation, you know, for, as an example, there. I thought they dealt with it really well. And you're right, you know, we get photo finishes all the time. But like I say, if we're going to move the sport onto that next level, and they were getting, you know, it, let's face it, if you get Olympic status, if we ever get to that point, that's, you know, the viewership goes up millions. You know, and if those individuals witness, you know, a half a wheel, even if it is half a wheel, you know, we, we remember the, uh, the Wout and Tom Pidcock situation a couple of years ago. I think it was at Amstel Gold where there was, it, there must have been a millimetre in it. You definitely couldn't, couldn't call that. But, you know, we, sometimes we see a bike length difference. Um, Zach, I, I want to ask you as well, because you race on other platforms, right? I, I, I'm, su- I'm sure I've seen you racing different championships this year where there was cash involved as well. Um, you know, are those things that you, that you use, because I don't know many different platforms you race on. I've seen you on a few, but you know what? Have you seen those that same situation happen on other platforms? Uh, I, I do race on a lot of other platforms. I'm trying to, I'm running through them in my head to, to think of this specific issue. I know it's definitely not just a Zwift issue in my experience on other platforms. Um, I mean, some of the other platforms that I race on, have such such bigger such other major issues that i never even think about this one (laughs) on zwift i feel like sometimes it's one of those things that it's so good and it's so popular that there's these tiny tiny things that people pick out that aren't perfect Uh, but on some of the other man you go and ride on some of the other platforms and it's like well this is terrible this sucks and this is really rough and i can't deal with this And, and then you come back to zwift and it's like well zwift has 99% 99% of it figured out. And then there's this one thing that is really annoying, keeps coming up. So we're talking about other platforms. So there's another platform that's in beta, and we've interviewed the developer of that, who happened to be the former head of cycling esports for Zwift, uh, Dr. George Gilbert. And he's creating a platform called Indie Velo. We've, we've documented it in length, but he has a solution for the problem that we're speaking about. They have a, a server-side architecture. So everything that you see on your screen is the same as what the person next door to you sees and and all throughout the world, it's all the same. Those people, supporters of of Indie Velo, really latched on to this photo finish issue. A lot of them are frustrated Zwift racers. They saw the issues and they kind of had the opportunity to really focus in on this, put everything in kind of a negative light. I'm wondering how the athletes that were in Singapore, when they saw what was happening with the response to that, the one photo finish issue, I wonder, what did you think of that? Did it give a negative feeling about Indie Velo? Did it it change your opinion at all in, in one way or the other? Yeah, I would say I didn't have a super strong opinion either way before going to Singapore, talking with the other riders, and especially the Zwift staff. 
But I would say the main thing that I learned from talking with them for a few days was that there are lots of solutions that could work for these things, especially the specific ones that people have trouble with on Zwift. Um, but with talking with the Zwift staff, I learned that so much of the, the technology that goes into it is that there's such a big difference between a smaller platform and a platform like Zwift, where Zwift has thousands and thousands of users on it 24-7, and they have these hundreds of events happening at the same time and everything else. And the scale of it is so much bigger that it changes a lot of the technology and how easy it is to implement these major changes and updates. And I don't know the specifics past that, but that's that's the main thing that I heard over and over is that Zwift is aware of <laughs> these these solutions that can fix these problems on their platform, but it's it's something that it's not easy to implement on a platform as big as Zwift. You uh, you spent a lot of time with the IOC people, the UCI people. Um, a lot of them, you know, the 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 head of the UCI has really strong ties uh, with the IOC in promotion of esports. Did you get a sense that the the future was bright? Cycling esports would would get medal recognition at some point in the future. One hundred percent. Yes, that's how that's how I felt about it. That's how everyone talked about it, and that was their their vision for the next couple of years was to to keep doing this, to keep growing on it, to to keep improving on on especially these these little things that have have gone wrong with some of the some of the events and this one in particular to to fix those as Swift moves on to the next level and and makes that push to become an actual olympic event it was pretty crazy to think about but then you go there and you realize that's a realistic goal in the in the mind of zwift is that that's the direction they're going and that's what they're they're focused on for the next few years which is really incredible to hear yeah i was gonna say how hungry do you think they really are to to make that happen right because obviously you mentioned the uh the triathlon you know of course the the super league triathlon you know, it is pretty popular now, you know, and, and I think we're, we're a couple of seasons or years into that, whatever the terminology is in, in these events. Um, you know, and, and I did see um, a podcast a few weeks ago with Eric Min, and he raised specifically the Super League Triathlon getting to an Olympic event, but he didn't mention cycling esports. So I just I wanted to try and get a feel of how hungry are Zwift, given that, the, you know, the statement or what Chris has heard from the UCI there on server status and what you see should be what you get you know how hungry are Zwift do we think to really get this to an Olympic sport from everything that I heard and saw in Singapore that's it's a huge goal for them I I know that the the Zwift staff that I met there was just a very 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 small portion of people that are, are working there so I'm sure even though there's this small group maybe focused on making that push there's 500 other people that are working on workouts and Zwift events and coming up with the next big thing or next big update on Zwift. So it's impossible to say how Zwift feels overall, but from the people there, they were definitely pushing for that that big status in the next few years. You know, it's interesting that you brought up Super League Triathlon, Cy, and you and I didn't discuss this in pre-production or anything. It's kind of funny. When I reached out to Zwift for a statement concerning the, the Olympic esports, cycling esports series, they were quick to give me this statement. And I'm reading a lot of statements. I'm kind of, but it's relevant information. While much attention has been placed on the cycling events, this is Zwift saying this, 
I would also like to mention the duathlon exhibition races. We are also proud to be working in the triathlon and duathlon space with Super League Triathlon and the ITU. Though the duathlon events weren't part of the Olympic Esports Series finals, they are just as exciting a prospect and a true statement of athletic performance and the excitement of esports competition. Now, when I read that statement and I sent them a list of questions and they were all about cycling esports, when I received that statement from them, the first thing that I thought in my mind was perhaps there's doubt as to whether they're going to be granted the tender by the UCI. Maybe they're not going to be the ones that host the next Olympics, but they could be the ones that host the Super League triathlon events at the Olympics. And perhaps maybe they're putting more eggs into that basket. Yeah, I, I went to I actually went to the duathlon event at the Esport Olympics in, in Singapore and it was it was super cool. It was it was awesome to see those teams on there and they had a really cool format where it was it was almost like a relay between the four riders from the four teams and and to see it on Zwift was really cool. It was we were all talking to each other, me and the other athletes we were we were saying, Oh yeah, I know that course I know, I know they're on this climb now. And uh, it was it was really cool to see. Um, I I find it yeah interesting that Zwift is yeah putting that much focus on triathlon. But I mean it, it's difficult to say hearing different things from different people. I don't I don't know between the official statements and what you hear on the ground and the staff here and the staff there. I'm not I'm not sure what their what their focus is with that. But the Super League triathlon. I mean they put on a great show and I'm. I'm assuming they're making a push for the Olympics as well, but we'll have to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Zach, thank you for joining us. I just want to say, yourself and the other athletes, you did us proud. You know, as a as a fan of the sport, you know, and, and obviously I ride multiple platforms like yourself, seeing you guys on stage with smiles on your face, giving it everything you got for me, it, it, you know, genuinely... You know, it gave me goosebumps watching what you know what you guys did. I think you represented us in the sport really, really well. Uh, and and I hope you know you got this rock star treatment. I hope you you got some photos with the fans, or the fans wanted photos with you. And tell me you signed some autographs as well, Zach. Before you go, right? <laughs> we did actually, yeah. In the in the cycling booth on the the day after the event, we were there cheering on some of the the racers and. And then one of them turned around and he had a, a Sharpie and he asked us to sign his jersey and all, all of us looked at each other and we were like, this is weird. We've never signed a jersey before. <laughs> but that was awesome. We got a picture with them and everything. Oh, that, that, that sounds awesome. And it sound, you mentioned as well that they got some of the younger athletes involved in sort of a junior version as well. So that, that's also really great for the sports. You know, I'm very passionate about getting kids and young people onto the platform. So the fact that, that they were involved as well, then absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Zach, it was great having you. Like, you know, it's not a mystery that I uh, I hold you in really high regard, not only as an athlete, but also as a, uh, a freelance writer, a content creator. I always enjoy your perspective on everything. And that's why we, we held out to, to have you be the, the, the guest for us. I also want to mention the in real life racing that you do. You know, you ride for Project Echelon, which is a, an organization that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and their mission. Yeah, Project Echelon is a, a nonprofit organization that works with veterans, uh, and uh, the mission is to educate, equip, and empower them through sport and through exercise. So we work specifically with veterans who are getting into, maybe it's just walking, maybe it's running. We have a lot of triathletes and Ironman athletes where we help them. We help them get a bike and running shoes and coaching, and we help them with diet and 
And we also work with them one-on-one with, with their, their mental struggles. And it's, it's really, really important to connect with those athletes. And it's a really amazing organization. I feel really lucky that I can be on an amazing cycling team. That's also an organization of that level to work with those people. I've met so, so many amazing people through that organization that I would never have met outside of Project Echelon. Yeah, Raquel, the the founder, co-founder, right? Uh, Frank Cundiff is the is the other other uh, founder. Um, they they are really solid character individuals, and I know that your team is strong. Like, didn't I think you put a you put someone on the podium, the U.S. Nats, not too long ago? Yes, yeah, that was Tyler. I think yeah, he was second, yeah, second or third this year, and I think he was second last year. Yeah, he's having an amazing season. It's really cool to watch. It really is. And the whole nonprofit, the charity end of things is, uh, is really something that's dear to my heart. And like I always uh, tell Cy that everything that I do, this podcast, the, the, uh, the Zimunique, all the writing, it's all a promotion for the Dirt Dad Fund, which is a nonprofit that I created uh, to support members of the virtual cycling community. And the Dirt Dad Fund was awarded a grant by Zwift uh, of $5,000 you know, as one of their inaugural micro grants, which also came with 20 free Zwift subscriptions. And uh, I was able to leverage those subscriptions to purchase an adaptive cycle for one of our members. We raised the, the Dirt Dad Fund community, raised $6,000 in 24 hours. And Lucy was uh, awarded her, uh, her bike, um, this past week in, in a nice ceremony uh, nearby her hometown. And they think that the bike is going to be the thing that uh, makes her so she's able to walk one day. So it's uh, really impactful. And I'm uh, really proud of that work. And I, I know that, you know, being able to ride your bike for a cause is, is really incredible. And being able to utilize the generosity of this community. And we know how great it is because you're a part of it, Zach, and you're one of the guys that makes it great. So I just uh, just can't say enough about it. And we really appreciate the fact that you came to uh, join us and uh, give us a little bit of insight into this really amazing event. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, Zach, thanks for joining us. Well, Chris, I think there's a lot to unpack after that discussion. So uh, where should we start? Um, well, why don't we start with, uh, with the, the big question here. Was the Olympic eSports Series a success for cycling eSports? Well, that is a good question. Uh, I think in terms of the audience, and I'm not just talking about the, you know, the people who were at the venue or who watched it over on YouTube and, and the other platforms, but in terms of getting it on the platform with the, you know, with the UCI and, and the IOC, I think it was good. I think there was enough professionalism um and knowledge in the background amongst the commentary team and amongst the riders on stage to cover some of the the, the issues that that were clearly there and that were highlighted throughout that interview so i think it it was a success from from that point of view but i also think there are clearly some aspects that need to be addressed um if we really want to make sure that you know, the, the, the sport is really robust moving forward. But what about fr- from your point of view then? Was this a success for the future of cycling esports, Chris? Um, you know, Sai, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. And, I, you know, I agree with you. On the surface, the event served its purpose. It absolutely did. However, no one who wants to see cycling esports succeed as much as me is served by shying away from or denying that significant issues exist. Or even worse, continuing to bury your head in the sand, that mentality is going to spell doom for the sport. 
Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I, I think there are a number of basics which clearly need, you know, I use that word bulletproof. You know, there are two basics for me that need to be bulletproof when moving forward with, with the sport, both as a, an IRL sport, you know, and a sport which, let's face it, if he gets to Olympic status, millions of people can view this. And it's, first of all, the bike technology. I, and I know, you know, there's probably money involved there um, on that aspect, you know, but that connectivity, using Bluetooth connectivity with so many people on there, you're not telling me that those experienced Zwifters on stage and all the technical people around didn't see those problems coming. We've all experienced those problems that you have with Bluetooth connectivity um, in our garages and on our homes with one or two devices. So I think for me, there's a solution there, but for whatever reason, be it money, be Competition between two brands there, and when I'm talking about Wahoo and Zwift as an example, I don't know. I'm speculating there. But that, first of all, needs to be addressed. The second thing, the photo finish, the fact that we need to be finding a server-side solution, in my opinion there. We saw that Fortnite were also on that event. Zwift, Zach said that Zwift you know, said that they're aware that solutions exist, for example. But because of the scale of Zwift with the number of events and the number of athletes they have on the platform, it makes it difficult to make these changes. Fortnite were at that event. They have 15 million users. That's a player versus player platform on a daily basis. Peak Zwift, what is it? 45,000 at peak and in the winter time. There's a vast difference there. So if we're going to move on to that next level, if we want to really give the validity to the sport then we have to move, in my opinion, as I keep saying, to a server-side solution. So it's the connectivity to the bike, those technical issues that clearly a number of athletes had, You know, whether it be gear-changing issues, which on such rolling courses is one thing, or the fact that Lisa didn't get into the pen. So wh why, when Lisa got it, didn't get into the pen, Chris, why didn't she raise her hand? Why didn't she say anything? That's a really great question, Sai. You know, every single one of those 16 athletes are tech savvy. In order to race at that level, you have to be as strong with your technical knowledge as you do with your pedaling. Absolutely. She obviously was aware that there was an issue. She didn't react. You know, any large company, and Zwift is a billion-dollar company, it would be irresponsible for them not to guide their talent as to how to react in certain situations, how to respond to certain questions. To think that she wasn't gutted by the fact that she traveled all the way to Singapore from, from Sweden and didn't even get the opportunity to, to race is kind of difficult to believe. And it's also difficult to believe that she reacted in that way without having some sort of guidance. Yeah, Chris, I absolutely agree. You can only race at that level if you're as keen on technology as you are on pedaling. Zwift have said they're absolutely aware of the client-side problem, and so are the vast majority of racers. So I think the, the, the Zwifters out there, those problems would have been clear to see, maybe not clear to the general public. We don't need to go in any more detail than that. Photo finishes, they do happen in real life, but even those cameras must be server-based. I agree 100%, Ty. And it's not our place to break down every little consistency here. But it is our job to be fair, balanced, and credible. Thank you, Zach, again for coming on with us. 
Yeah, thank you, Zach. Great to have you on the show. Just want to say before we wrap up the show, maybe you're a first-time listener or you're a long-time listener, don't forget to subscribe and follow via whichever platform you use. And don't forget, tell your friends or your family, whoever will listen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again for another Virtual Velo podcast. I'd like to thank you for the privilege of your time and for helping to bridge the gap between athlete and avatar. 